Hey everybody, just a quick little note at the beginning of this episode. Um, there's a couple of little audio glitches early on in the episode. Uh, some audio feedback problems that we had. Uh, just a quick little warning, it's not an issue with your headphones or your device. It's something that happened on the actual recording. Uh, otherwise, enjoy the episode. Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris and I am joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, Lee. Hello. And, uh, <laughs> wowsy, wowsy, wowza. <laughs> Lord help us. <laughs> we watched <laughs> Antonio here. <laughs> but before that, how are you going, Lee? I'm good, Chris. How are you? I'm not, I'm not too bad. Yeah. I'm hanging in there, hanging in there. I feel like my brain's a bit of a, 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 a noodle. Yep. It's it's noodling out the sides. Based off the film or just yeah. based off life? No, in general? based on the film. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's 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 an interesting one. Um, you know, as we keep saying, you get you it's a lot of first for Lee this uh, early on where it's yeah. like you you know, your first Godard, now you've had your first Antonioni and I I would Antonioni is like way more so considered to be a Fuck you than Godard is. So that's Really? Yeah. Fuck you. What do you mean by that? Oh, just like I don't get it. You're pretentious. I this annoys me. So more you would say he's more pretentious than Godard. Yeah, I find at least critically at least I found uh more people like a critical response being like like Antonioni like I I do enjoy a couple of his films, but like Godard, I think like the best Godard is Everyone loves it, yep. like irregardless. Whereas the best Antonioni, there are even still people like "fuck you." <laughs> that makes me feel better about my noodle brain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but before we discuss noodles anymore, uh, let's dive into the mailbag, shall we? I'm excited. Tell me. All right. So, well, I thought maybe you, okay. I'll, I'll kick it off with one to yes. start, and then we'll go across to you. Yes, I've got. Um, one. As listeners know, we've now started the challenge. Uh, Lee came up with the idea of the tagline challenge. Yes, 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 yes. And um, she solidly won with her <laughs> <laughs> prose before hiding hose. I don't know how, because that was super lousy. No, it was super fantastic. Way better. Like, I went... Because you'd been going the sincere route, and then I decided to go the... You, yeah, you came and met me. And, and it just, just didn't... Went yeah, the and you balls yeah. to the wall route. <laughs> exactly. So we need to find that happy medium, I get. But you'd, like... I posted out the image of yours that we created, and I'm like, yeah, you definitely won, to which uh, our good old friend, our Captain Internationalist, a.k.a. Andrew, uh, said, that, like, yeah, you certainly did win. She was, uh, He was not expecting that, <laughs> that's your answer, and he snorted beer through his nose, <laughs> what he heard. Oh, I'm pleased. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah. It was definitely a snort-worthy pun. <laughs> it's funny because I haven't even thought about my tagline for this one that's not racist. So oh, I'm going to have to... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've thought of some, but they're, I, they're, but they're racist. I'm not so saying this not. on... Uh, this, you know, once it's on the internet. Yeah, oh yeah, you can't get rid of that shit. Yeah. Hmm. I'm going to have to sit here while we're podcasting, try and come up with one. <laughs> yes. 
But um, there was an older comment that we actually missed that I, I think you should definitely read out because I fucking loved it. Yes. This was one of my favourites too and it was from Bien, and it was on our Insta and it was from Dustin J. Hadley. Justin J.H. Lady. Uh, the mm-hmm. film, <laughs> the film is a pretty good example of a director jacking himself off. It's the Louis C.K. of Criterion Films. Bravo, well, sir. Well done. Bravo. Well done. Thank you. Loved it. That made me giggle. That Ab- made me snort beer through my nose. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, we also got a, uh, as I said again, another. We heard from Andrew again. Uh, he sent us an absolutely lovely email. Um, that uh, earlier today, actually, on the day that we're recording this, uh, mm. saying congrats on what you got, on becoming what is becoming my favourite Criterion podcast, ah. and that we're building something very special. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, he he also agreed. Um, yeah, he said his thoughts on my own private Idaho. Uh, that he'd loved the film ever since he first saw it. The Shakespeare stuff really threw me uh, until I finally got my hands on the Criterion release and dove into the supplements. Um, it was actually the only the second Criterion he ever bought. Wow, that's yeah. special. Do you know, I only own one Criterion, so... Uh, no, you own two now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 yes. Oh. I, oh, wait, no, wait. Hang on, am I? Okay, no, I'm on... What am I on? The Red Shoes. Oh, and you gave me the Beastie Boys. Yes, I did. I ah. found the Beastie Boys video anthology at an op shop. What <laughs> so is I was it? like, here you go. <laughs> How much do you reckon you spent on it at the op shop? What the fuck's it doing in an op shop? Yeah, like, I think it was like $4, $5 oh. maybe. Do you know so, what? But that's the thing. Like, That's why I love going to op shops and secondhand DVD stores because here in Australia, it is fucking expensive to get Criterion. And, like, I, I found... a. M- Two fucking great ones, actually. I was at a uh, for our international listeners. There's a um, chain of uh, you know secondhand thrift stores here called Vinnie's, uh, short for St Vincent de Paul. And uh, I was looking at a local Vinnie's and fucking found Green for Danger and Night Train to Munich for a dollar each. Fuck yeah. Like, how the fuck do you find two Criterions, one of which is out of print, at an op shop for a dollar each? Someone's like, you don't just buy a Criterion. Yeah. Someone's bought uh, that gun No, this was totally like someone's old parent who had died. And <laughs> like, because there was also a shitload of old films also there. And I was just like... <laughs> it's a good day oh, for Okay, Chris. yeah, someone is... Yeah, this is definitely someone's dad has died. And they're like... They're just, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know just, I'm op shopping this stuff. Uh, my grandpa and I did. reap the benefits. Yeah, my grandpa did that to my dad's record collection. Mm. <laughs> Never forgiven him. Um, jumping quickly back to Andrew's email. Um, yeah, so he said that uh, My Own Private Idaho was the second Criterion he ever bought, and the first one was Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which I think was probably like my number four or five that Is I that bought. Is that in the Criterion collection? Mm-hmm. Number 175. So it's gone. It's been I'm gone. livid. Yeah. I think, yeah, I don't know. Oh, yeah, we've still got some more Gilliam coming up, so that's... Ooh, yeah. I do love Gilliam. Gilliam is God. Yeah, uh, but since then, he's now got nearly 600. I thought I had a lot with my, like, 350 or so. Uh, but this is actually... I am very intrigued by this. I would love to see a photo of our listeners out there if you collect physical media, if you're a big fan like I am of Criterion, which you probably are if you're listening to this, I would love to actually see a photo of your collections. That would be rad. Um, I'll also get Lee to chuck up on the Instagram and things. I'll I'll post a picture of mine and we yep. can, yeah, I'm just, 
you know, let's be honest. The collector and all of us, we're intrigued by other people's collections. Let, let, come on. We need we need a post of Chris's collection versus Lee's collection. Yes. Yeah, that'll, that's how we'll kick this off. Like yes. my 350-odd versus Lee's two. Two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, and but he, uh, we should also say that Andrew is the listener who said that he really loved one film and thought one, that one was really underrated. Uh, he is still not letting overrated. Us, uh, sorry, overrated. Yeah, sorry. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he is still not said which. Although uh, my ge- he's said that my guest last episode of something in the Andre Vaja box set possibly, and he said it's definitely not those. So well. Is he saying in our next ten? Is that what he said? Yeah, he said he said coming up. Coming up. Well, I'm gonna go out on a limb and mm-hmm. say it's this one. <laughs> I'm I I've I've got a new guess. Mm. So Lee's thinking it might be Leclise, yes. and I'm gonna guess Jules and Jim by Truffaut. Okay. Mm. Well, see, this is where I can't comment beyond my knowledge. Yeah, I just want to get the response of like you know when we get to it or one of us has picked it. It's like that's a bingo <laughs> or something. You're like you know you got it. That's but, a bingo. Yeah. But uh, on that note, I guess, should we dive into uh, spine number 178? If we must. Yes. Uh, Michelangelo Antonioni's Leclis. Leclis. The concluding chapter of Michelangelo Antonioni's informal trilogy on contemporary malaise following La Ventura and La Nota. Leclise tells the story of a young woman who leaves one lover and drifts into a relationship with another. Using the architecture of Rome as a backdrop for the doomed affair, Antonioni achieves the apotheosis of his style in this return to the theme that preoccupied him the most, the difficulty of connection in an alienating modern world. I feel like the synopsis you read out to me, Chris, was not that. Yes. And it was a much more sim- simpler form. And I feel like I've got more from that synopsis than I did the, the, yeah. the actual film. Yeah, I should say, when we sat down to watch this film, Lee asked, like, hey, can you just tell me, like, just point blank, just tell me what the synopsis is so I can know what I'm getting in for. And I read the IMDb synopsis, ah. which is not the criteria. Is synopsis. there a reason you did that? Uh, d- no. no, not really. <laughs> I was just more like ease of one click on my yeah, like yeah, phone yeah. as opposed to. I've got multiples. to say though, like when uh, he was telling me the synopsis, we made Claire go into the other room. Yes, yes, because <laughs> so we can have her segment later. Exactly, we're, we're, which will be live. Yeah, it's gonna be the first time recording uh, with Claire in the house, so we'll get a. It's it's a it's a real Bill O'Reilly. Fuck it, we're doing it live. <laughs> I'm so, excited. Yeah. So I guess, uh, fuck it, let's jump into this now. Um, Wow, what a film. Mm. Not necessarily the the best way. (laughs) It's interesting because there's so much I love about this film and so much I don't think I've ever been, and I've been through a few Criterion films by this stage, I don't think I've ever been so frustrated in my Criterion watching. So what, what was frustrating about it for you? Was it the... Just the the narrative aspects of it, or what? what like, what? okay. I'm sorry, I'm creating a leading question. I you suppose, are, but. but no, no. But I think for me, I was very confused as to where the characters were, what their motivations were, mm-hmm. 
and what the point was. What the what the film overall is saying, yes. I guess. Yeah. I, look, there was a lot of symbolism, and I, I said this on my own private Idaho as well. When you're watching something for the first time, and I might miss a lot of the symbolism, and I remember asking you as we, oh, thank fuck we watch films together, Chris, because <laughs> Yeah, we were, we were initially planning to watch this one separately, but like mother of God. Thank like, God we watched it together. Yeah. Um, no. So I'm not like, I might sound like I'm poo-pooing on it, but I, I there was a lot I liked about it, but mostly I came out just really frustrated. Yeah. yeah. And like I said, uh, lack of point, lack of establishment. Like for, for most of the part, I didn't know where the characters were mm-hmm. and what their motivations were. That that's that's me. That's where I stood. Um, I am pretty much with you. Mm. Um, it is uh, like a lot of Antonioni's work. It is uh, meandering. Um, re- like I mean, the Criterion synopsis—they're using the word malaise. Like that is his films to a T. Like this lazy kind of confusion or lack of establishment. Not establishment, but like motivation, possibly. Motivation is key, and I. All right, I'm going to start with scene one. Scene one, we open with Vittoria and Ricardo. Mm-hmm. And it takes, I, oh, look, I don't know how long the scene runs for, but it takes a majority of the, sh- of the scene to work out what the fuck these two characters are on about. Now, only because you told me the synopsis mm-hmm. did I know what was happening. That there was a breakup essentially occurring. That's, yeah. that's, I'm, 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 that's it. Yeah. You always, I'm never going in blind anymore because otherwise I would have been pulling my hair out going, what I don't the know, fuck like, is going on? Nah, there's a couple that I'm going to tell you to go in blind for. Okay. Just like, yeah, pick, like, yeah. But it's a lot but, of like off the, like looks like, oh, looking, I'm, I'm having a look. I'm having another look. I'm going to look over here. No, I'm going to stand up and go over there. I'm going to look out the window. Hmm. I'm like, oh, someone's coming. They're looking. She keeps looking out the window because someone's going to fucking come into this scene. It's going to be interesting. No, no, they're just having a look. Which I loved your comment while we were watching the film. You're like, this is what people do did before iPhones. They just stood. <laughs> they just stood around staring. They did. Like, if this scene was shot today, it'd just be two people on the couch on their phones. Yeah, pretty much. And just be like, why don't you love me anymore? I know you bore me. Ah, now, um, what was yeah. the other Italian film we watched recently? I can't remember the name of. Oh, good. Yeah, this Ooh, is. A, good. Welcome to the other problem with Criterion doing the podcast on Criterion films. Yes. They blur. Uh, what the fuck? Like, people are <laughs> yelling into their phones right now. Uh, La Comeseca. Okay, so in La Comeseca, we said um, we, they, they're walking. We don't need to know they walked. They walked there. They went from here, they got to there. We don't need to watch them. Don't drag, don't drag your runtime out with showing. It, it's the yeah. great quote, like, can't we just know that they, they drove there? <laughs> like, it's yeah. fine. Yeah. And I feel like this is the polar opposite in the way that it's it's that there is nothing that tells you what's going on or where they are or, or anything. And I I wish there was more walking. But okay, so in La Comeseca, uh, basically those drawn out establishing shots and all of that like the, the slow pacing of certain sections of that film, it's used to establish tone and mood, I, I, yeah. I really. Yeah. And, you know, to a, to a lesser degree, uh, character development. Yes. Um, do you think that this, without having those kind of aspects in this film, 
that hinders this film or do you think that by purposely because because i kind of feel purposely eliminating those aspects and just kind of throwing us into the deep end of scenes like at the, the yeah. beginning scene it helps establish a, a mood instantly as opposed okay. to using kind 100%, of b-roll yes 100 mood this this film's moody as fuck um <laughs> this a- <laughs> film's moody as fuck <laughs> what <laughs> that's that's a that's a film term yeah. um, <laughs> um yes there's plenty of mood in that opening scene right but there is little okay what does a film actually what does what does film do to make us care because i couldn't give a fat rats about these two characters yeah first of all i didn't know what was happening in the scene plenty of mood there was mm-hmm. so much mood but i'm like i'm grasping it what's going on and is that his point? Is he trying to make me uncomfortable? Like the direct is Antonioni trying to make me? I don't know. The characters are uncomfortable. Feel so therefore that. That's, that's I am certain way. I guess. Um, it's. It, I don't. I mean, yes and no. I mean, it's. Uh, where was I reading? Like it was someone else describing it as like it's his trilogy of like complacency, I guess, and like so it's. By his camera and his filmmaking style is reflecting the attitudes of the characters within the film in okay. that it's, but the problem with that is it's not necessarily engaging. Like we're opening on a scene where it's a couple who are breaking up because neither one is engaged with the other anymore. Yes. And as a representation of that, yes. the film is not engaging Gaging to the audience, which yes. is incredibly admirable way to make a film. Yeah. It's just not and I look engage it like purposefully so almost. I have to preface everything with what I'm saying is I it makes me I don't want to be a philistine. Mm. I understand maybe I don't, but I'm tr- I'm trying to understand the purpose and the point and the style and and that there is a purpose and a point and a style and and if I've missed it then I'm sorry. Like I said, it's my first time watching it and. I'm sure there are people who love this film, but uh, oh yes, yeah, so, some notables as well, which I will, which I will go into later. Yeah, but, I just yeah. Oh, it's it was frustrating for me. And is that the point? Like you know, when it's like no, but that's the point. I'm like, oh okay. You're like, yeah. I don't. I just don't like poo pooing on something unless. No, but that, but that's it's fine to dislike something because you didn't. It didn't the art didn't engage you. Like, yes. that's fine. And that's definitely a case for a film like this. I, I as well, like, did not like this at all. Okay, that the, makes me feel better. Yeah, I'm, I'm just trying, as we're going through, trying to figure out why he has made... Chosen what he has. Yeah, and that's still also we should have, it. you know, it's to be said, even after you figure out for your own sake, like, or your interpretation of why and how something was created, doesn't mean you have to fucking agree with it. <laughs> True. So, like, at the end of the day, we can try and unpack that, like, you know, crack open this nut, but it's still going to be like, ooh, cashew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. Do you know what I was really distracted by in this opening scene? Not what was going on with the characters, but there was some sweet shots and extra sweet reflection shots. Yeah, his use of mirrors is absolutely wonderful. And you also point out the artwork in a lot of scenes as yeah. well. The, yeah. Whether or not that's a reflection on the characters or their style or their... Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, the, like, it, it's... I mean, that is my big A-plus tick for this film is its cinematography. 100%. And I, and I think that is why... 
for the most part, this film is praised by a lot of people because mm. of watching it. it. It's shot in 1962. It looks like it was fucking filmed yesterday. Yeah. Like, it, like it's one of those The Cranes Are Flying type movies where you're like, this cinematography is so modern for, for a film that is like fucking... Yes. You know, however many, like, fucking close to 60 years old. Yeah. Like. Ah, look, and I think that's when I said before, it's not, there's things I loved about it and there's things I didn't. Mm. It, was, it was beautifully shot. Yeah. Beautifully shot. So You even mentioned something about um, maybe influencing some modern day directors. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll save that for a little bit later on, I yeah. think, possibly. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, because I got some info on that. But it's like the, the conf- it's, it's a confounding film. Like it, it, in the, like, you know, we open with like this 10, 15 minute long breakup scene and it, you know, or it's like this couple and like, you know, it, 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 it gets revealed like, you know, oh, this is a breakup and this is what's happening. And then from there, we go to the Roman stock exchange for 25 minutes. Yes. And like I incidentally introduced to Elaine Delon, who I love as an actor and I think he's actually pretty great in this film, but it's... You described him as a blue-eyed sploosh. Yes. I stand by that. Yeah, damn straight. I tried to explain to Lee, like, seeing Elaine Delon in black and white does not do the man justice. (laughs) You need some colour to get steep bathe in those big blue eyes. Yes, yes, I guess so. Well, this is the only film I've obviously seen him in, but... Mm. Um, before we get to the stock exchange, it's, we did make a comment, uh, when, sh- um, Vittoria leaves the apartment with Ricardo, he chases after her and it was the barren landscape, which is probably yeah. the only time we see sort of vacant landscapes, mm-hmm. um, not romantic or anything, really cold and harsh and, yeah. and, and you know what, I can see what Antonioni is doing, he's... In every scene, we're getting a glimpse into our characters through the shot, through yeah. the atmosphere, through the set, through the whatever it is. But I just wanted to bring that up because it really stood out to me because I thought, all right, this is our film. It's not going to be glamorous. It's not going to be. And then it was literally just, for me, just that scene. And then when we get into the stock exchange, mm. it's a bit more... I don't know, architecturally interesting? Yeah, well, that's it. it. He uses the architecture of Rome to help, like, really exemplify the differences between the relationships that she's leaving mm. and the one that she's now entering into. It's something like, you know, with Ricardo, it's this big, open, barren landscape. There's there's it's some emptiness there's, the- there's some nature there. You've got the odd tree and things there. there. There's some beauty still left in there, but for the most part, it's this vacuum yes and then she finds herself in the city in rome with piero and it's these giant columns and big buildings and it's it's like which adds to the idea of like well is this a also a meta conversation on modernity where it's like basically hey things are developing things are growing things are changing and Mm. that's what the reflection of vittoria is I, feel I just like, got real deep. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. God damn it. <laughs> but I feel like I don't really understand her at all. For example, she has this apartment. How does it get paid for? She has this beautiful um, costumes that she wears. Who oh, that? Yeah, that, if there's one thing I know about Victoria, it's she loves blackface. <laughs> oh, yes. We have to talk about that. Uh, God knows what the scenes before this were. Something with the stock exchange. I don't know. Anyway, something <laughs> happens. And then she goes home 
and uh, she is hammering some shit in the wall in the middle of the night, and her neighbour comes over. He's like, the fuck, you've just woken up my bloody husband. Her, her neighbour, yep, her na- neighbours, Anita and Marta, come around. So, and then they are having a chinwag for a while, and then um, they get a phone call, and they go to... One of the other friends. I don't know. I believe it's Marta's house. Marta's house. And Marta's house is decorated from her travels or home life in Rhodesia. And it is, um, you know, tribal... Oh, God, I sound racist, but tribal no, shit. No, it is. It, it, it's, it's African culture. <laughs> and then I, I was like, I was really excited because... Victoria is like scanning her eyes through the apartment and she's sort of really still. I'm like, oh, she's like getting an awakening or mm. I don't know what's going on here. This is really interesting. And then these drums start to play and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's like heightening up. And I'm like, this is, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. And <laughs> it wasn't. Um, the next scene and <laughs> the next scene is of her, she's Tanned up to the point where I don't actually oh, recognize it's, 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 her. It's black. It's blackface. And she blackfaces Ooga Boogers to some. Yeah, and I'm like, that's not Lee being re- like that is literally the the stuff that she's kind of saying in the film. Yeah. Like it is. It's 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 kind of rough, y'all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And it is out bad. Of, and out of fucking nowhere and addressed in the most like at least Marta tells them to stop but also yes. tells them to stop in a very not Meh. 2020 way 20 way 21 way but it's 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 like that's what i found interesting about that scene at its core is that's i think antonioni attempting to give us an insight into what type of character victoria is when she is allowed to be free in herself. And she's, it's almost a thing of she even doesn't know how to have fun with friends properly even. And that's how much of a character she is just like, well, I don't, I don't know my place. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know where I'm from. I'm just kind of here. Meh. See, and that's what I mean about the lead up to the blackface. And I suppose like the second you see blackface, you just completely like remove what's going on in your mind. You're just like, they're doing blackface. I mean, like, but, yeah, you but, have to with the thing of like, I guess, insult. time and place yes. and blah, blah, blah. But, but yeah, it's but there's this build up to shocking. that moment. And she's it's it's like she's getting she's having an awakening because previously with Ricardo, she <laughs> says that um I'm just imagining like all these panning shots of like her looking at her and it's like <gasps> blackface. <laughs> like that's her big revelation. It's just like, oh, I can be super racist. Yeah. <laughs> I was that's... just racist before, but now I can be super racist. I was about to ask, what the fuck does that scene give us? But then you've just explained that, it. Well, I mean, it's an attempt at explaining, but like at, at its core, this film is a supposed, like, you know, it, it's, it's, it's using a romance and, like, in particular, a woman leaving one failed romance and falling for another one and how that's a reflection on, I guess, herself and the idea of the shifting culture in the time in Italy, like, the idea of going from something more traditional into something that's more... Con- a younger thing that's more consumed with wealth and materialistic possessions and things, like, with the whole stock exchange stuff and... Piero being like, well, I have two houses. This one's my parents, and isn't it fancy? And do would you like some French chocolates and blah blah blah? Yeah. But okay. but the problem, the fundamental problem with the film for me, is Piero and Vittoria meet at an hour and twenty in. 
Um, like they have a no, fleeting. They, they have, have a, fre- a fleeting. fleeting. Yeah, 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 yeah. But they they first talk to each other at like an hour and twenty. And to be honest, he uh, at some point in the film, someone says to him, "What are you doing tonight?" And he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna." hook up with something that's not even a quote but like oh i've got to like a oh no doesn't he say i have a hot piece waiting for me yes that's something what like he that? says yeah. i've got a hot piece waiting for me and then she's been waiting there to the hot piece has been waiting there too long she's getting a bit annoyed that she's had to wait for him and he's annoyed that she's dyed her hair brunette because he wants a saucy blonde he wants a saucy blonde are we meant to not like this character well that's what makes me wonder if it is like that's why I'm trying to view it in a co- the whole all of this stuff is like these two characters as representations of Italian culture at the time possibly and well, that's, that's that's really hard like it's hard to go oh well that was accepted back then or is no, he just a dickhead I no, don't know. Well, no but that's like I th- is he representing a new generation even that's what I'm meaning and it's it, and and Ricardo representing the older generation the brief glimpse that we get of him of just like a stiff upper lip kind yeah, of classical yeah, yeah. man versus somebody who's just like oh well my car got stolen out fuck it a guy stole yeah. it and died in it. Oh, well, I'll sell it anyway. Like, uh, you know, just a a mover and shaker. Like, you know, that, that you know, like he, I said, it's going back to that idea of modernity. I just, yeah, he's not a very likable character. Neither is Victoria. Like, I do not like her at all. Now, I was going to say about her, is she, like, in the terms of the, the time, 1962, is she, like, a modern woman, like, sex in the city modern woman? Like... Most, if not all, of the other women are married and they talk about their husbands coming home and, oh, my husband doesn't like when the dogs get out or something like that. Whereas she is not beholden to any man-ish. And uh, she meant to... It's hard to look back and go, oh, she was like, you know, like an enlightened sort of free... No. ...fun woman or I don't know. I, I think that's what she wanted to be as... and But it's... I don't think the film does justice in that or justice she, for her as a character she literally goes from ricardo to piero and it's like, but that, like that's fine like you know get the d while you can like no like you know I'm not... <laughs> yeah <laughs> Sorry, <I'm being> <laughs> but no like this that's fine if she wants to jump from one relationship to the other that's totally fine but to i don't think in the other scenes and aspects of that she represents herself as a free-spirited woman i don't think that's her goal as a character. What is her goal, Chris? I don't know. That's okay. what's frustrating about this film. It is confounding. It's... I, and normally it's one of those, like... When we run up against a film like this, where you're like, I don't understand this on a cultural or societal level. Is this because I'm ignorant and I don't understand 1960s oh Italian God. culture? Yes. Or is it because of the... I'm going to use the word arrogance of the filmmaker. Do you know what? That is, you have just hit the nail on the head of how I view every criteria. (laughs) Is it that I'm ignorant or is it that it's an arrogant director? Or what, like, you know, is it like I'm just questioning myself watching this? Am I an ignoramus? Why am I so frustrated? Why... (laughs) Or, Why is this so hard to watch? Or does this? Or does Antonioni clearly have his head up his own ass? Mate, that is the question. Yeah. From now on. Yeah, and I mean there are a couple of people who have said it is absolutely that 
being the case, yes. I will try and find some specific ones. <laughs> I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, like, well, I mean, famously, um, I, I desperately tried to hunt down this full review, but I could not find it. Because um, I'm very fascinated by Pauline Kael. Um, I think she is one of the best film critics ever. Ooh. But I disagree with her a lot of the time. Mm, that's fine. Um, but I think she's exceptionally well written. And, she, he... and her cattiness, like, that's not even, I feel like, I, I no, I shouldn't, like, it's, that's not even it. That sound, that's a pet, like, yeah. Disregard that word. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, her, her criticism, I don't, I think, can be so nasty sometimes almost that okay. it's like entertaining even if yes. i even if it's something that i really liked sounds like, seeing like her, someone i'd be interested in yeah so she honest. uh she dubbed the film uh, some like it cold <laughs> i wish i had that for my tagline yeah. oh yes and the other one was uh john lisi uh, of pop matters uh, criticized the work as strictly intellectual uh, in its return to the viewer and that he wrote that viewing the film isn't exactly like watching paint dry, but the pace is so deliberately slow that it might as well be. That is, that just makes me feel better. He described the film as beautifully made, historically important and boring as hell. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. I mean, obviously there are plenty otherwise, um, you know, swinging in the other direction. Um, Can you tell me a good one? Do you have a good one? Yeah. Oh, I do. Let me just write. Um, uh, it's, well, the film is considered to be one of the most important works of Antonioni's body of work. Uh, David Sin wrote, The intervening years appear not to have diminished its impact as an innovative work of cinema, nor as a wider critique of the age in which we live. The film retains a formal playfulness with its open form offering, uh, with its open form offering different ways of watching and projecting onto the characters and the overall atmosphere of ennui so beautifully constructed through sound and image still feels heavily familiar. Interesting. Uh, Peter Bradshaw at The Guardian called the film visionary and argued that Antonioni opens up a sinkhole of existential dismay in the Roman streets and asks us to drop down into it. What a strange and brilliant film it is. Hmm. So that just puts a conundrum up my ass. I, <laughs> I think the, the that's what's so interesting about Antonioni's work at its core is that it's able to simultaneously confound and infuriate people and touch people on a deep emotional level, and it. it I think it really does just it, it. Like, can you think of another? filmmaker that is so polarizing like that polarizing is the word and no i can't but that review hits the nail on the head mm. in in that i am so frustrated <sighs> but that's that's i don't know yeah yeah i don't know like i'm not gonna say interest <laughs> no but but i i i, I kind of like it. there's a little inkling in me which i won't do mm. but i would love to rewatch it knowing the storyline and not trying to desperately understand what the fuck is going on, but they go, okay, this is what happens. Now let's watch it and actually think soak about it, it. Soak in the atmosphere. Soak it in. That's yeah. it. That's 100% that's it. I think um, I was so, like, grappling with what, what, what... What's the narrative here that I'm trying to understand? Whereas it's more... It, it's more of a mood and tone and visual yes, piece. Yes, it is. And, ugh... That's like why I'm trying, like trying so hard to lob all these lofty 
thematical ideas and try and pinpoint like what this film thematically is trying to say with its narrative as opposed to just letting it exist as a mood piece. And I'm, I really do refuse to just poo-poo on something. No, it's As fu- much yeah. as I can say, like, oh, that didn't sit well with me or I didn't like it. It, I, I do like the challenge of trying to go, all right, well, what was the, what was the point? What was the purpose? Yeah, Let's it, try and di- digest this. Yeah, but I think we, make a, we try and make an active point to not say that something is objectively bad. We, no. we just say that we didn't get it. That's like, it. And that's, that's, that's totally fine. And if you personally didn't like something, like that's yeah 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 no i'm gonna personally say i did not like this film <laughs> neither did i at um, all um that being said do we want to talk about some of the nice positive th- this because there is some stuff i did really so like good. Um, like i was saying like this looks like it was shot last year and and or i should say in t- maybe 2019 so not not 2020 because no, nothing was shot nothing then. was shot then unless it was indoors yeah um Lockdown, have you seen that? Anne Hathaway, Drew Telegy 4? Not good. Yeah, no, I'm good. Um, (laughs) After I say something, I don't objectively say things about it. Can I ask, what do you mean when you say you feel like it could have been shot last year? Just in terms of the camera placement and the way that Antonioni moves his camera, there's a fluidity to how he constructs scenes that feels so incredibly modern and out of place for a film that's from 1962. I think it also helped that we were watching a Blu-ray, like, you know, a high-def version and a new transfer of this film that helps make it look new. Crisp. But, th- th- like I said, this film is sixty year- nearly 60 years old and it's doing camera movements and dolly shots and tracking shots that look like they are out of a film, a modern film, not something from 60 years ago. Do you think this would have blown the socks off of people whilst confusing them? Yeah. <laughs> Ab- absolutely. I do know that um, Martin Scorsese uh, said that uh, <laughs> basically um, he has this, his documentary, uh, My Voyage to Italy, which is him dissecting and discussing classic Italian films. Uh, he described how the film haunted and inspired him as a young moviegoer, noting that it seemed to him a step forward in storytelling and felt like a story... Uh, felt less like a story and more like a poem. Mm. So it's very... Like, knowing those quotes and things going into this and how much that Scorsese liked this film, it's hard not to notice its influence in particular in his visual style. Mm. Like, there was the one scene I pointed out when I think they're in Piero's house where Vittoria looks out the window and it's like this overhead shot and as she turns to look out the other side of the window and open up the camera moves and swivels with her it i recently rewatched taxi driver and it's like those very precise direct camera movements that scorsese does where it's like we're just going to quickly pan over to this thing move with our characters as they move as they move or their line of sight moves Mm. we're going to go with them um lots of overhead tracking shots like you know using cranes and things to follow people like we're going to follow someone down a hallway there's no reason for the film to be angelically above their head floating over them as they walk yeah. down it it looks th- th- there are so many key elements that you can later see in his work that kind of seems to spring from this or be inspired so like watching uh, watching the films in, 19, in 1962 as a young wannabe Sorry, filmmaker yeah. you'd be like Holy shit, I didn't know you could shoot a movie like that. 100%. I, uh, Antonioni film, shot the fucking shit out of this film really well. Like, the, like unless we were, like, having our head in our hands going, oh, what is going on? The rest of the time we were commenting on, that is a fucking cool shot. It's an amazingly 
shot film. Like, it is gorgeous to look it's at. It's beautiful. Um, but, and I mean, you know. Does it, does it, uh, this is my thing, like, and I guess on, if I were to rewatch it, do those amazing shots convey meaning that the characters fucking aren't? Because. Or, this, or is that a example of style over substance? That's what I th- mean. Like, so for example, there were sh- scenes, there were whole scenes, and I did not know the motivation of any character within them. It didn't continue the storyline along. Yeah. It, it didn't give us an insight into the characters at all. Like, there was nothing to be gained story-wise. Yeah. Shot the shit out of... is, And this is... I think I asked you halfway through what uh, watching this. I'm like, is this, is this a style that I, I'm just unfamiliar with? Is there a style like... We went, I think we did a bit of an exploration and we're like, fly on the wall. No, it's not quite fly on the wall. Is it observation? No, it's not Yeah, is it observational it. cinema versus verite? Like, where, where does this actually fall in it? Yeah. And, is there yeah. something I'm missing? Basically, that's what I'm asking. Is there something it, I'm is missing? Is it like neorealism almost to some degree? Like, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I guess, and again, that's why I don't want to poo-poo on anything because I probably don't know what I'm talking about. But it, it was very stylized and I feel like, maybe the 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 shots or the way it was filmed or the the atmosphere the background was that the storyteller and these characters just happened to float through it i i i that's how i kind of view it almost yeah. like that's that was the stuff that engaged me and got me interested and tried to make and at least made me want to try and dissect i wasn't necessarily trying to dissect the character motivations yes. and their narrative and their story. I was trying to dissect what he's telling us with these visuals. Yes. Yeah. 100%. And I mean, there's a scene with the crossroads. Yeah. And she pauses and we're, we're halfway, we're halfway now. Yeah. And then he just pushes. And it's forward. at nearly the halfway point of the film as well. Like, yeah. yeah. So there's some genius, there's mm-hmm. some genius to this film. Um, Not to mention the entire seven minute long dialogue free Baraka Koyanis Quatsi esque ending. Do you know what? I just, there was something about that, and I think it's because you told me. Mm-hmm. So imagine me sitting through that going, what the fuck is going on? No, you told me, like, oh, this is this ending. And so I watched it with a probably more open eyes. I'm like, I love this ending. Yeah. But I, I, I'm trying to imagine if I watched it without your explanation, I'll probably be like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. Yeah. Um,. Do you have something to say on that? Not particularly, no. <laughs> I was just trying to, like, I just remembered, like, oh, yeah, this film was called The Eclipse. Tell like, me. Wh- no, I'm just like, oh, was there an eclipse in the film? Like, I don't remember. Yeah, l'eclipse. Is that meaning eclipse? <laughs> well, it? I just, like, noticed that because I've got the trivia for coming up and I noticed to prep for the film, Antonioni travelled to Florence to film an actual solar eclipse. Did, there was no eclipse in this. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. I'm like, wait, was there and I just missed it? Um, but you, you within the first ten minutes. Oh, I, I threw up. I threw up my uh, prediction of what this the plot could be, and it was well wrong. <laughs> I can't even remember what it was now. Oh, I, I said because it opened with a breakup. We're gonna follow this woman who has left one man, and then she's gonna fall in love with another man, but it's not gonna work out because of his materialistic nature. And then he's gonna leave as if a solar eclipse has kind of passed over her, and then nothing will have changed, and she'll be back at where she was. Okay. That was my that was my prediction, and none of it came to be true. Okay, so I'm just I wrote a couple of notes down from when you told me the criterion. 
uh-huh. um, synopsis, and it was contemporary liaise, and you said... Uh, malaise. Malaise. Malaise and doomed affair. Mm-hmm. Now, I have big question marks next to both of those. What does contemporary liaise mean? Uh, malaise. Um, Fuck. So, a malaise... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, malaise. I've got the. Do you want the dictionary definition? Yes, please. A general feeling of discomfort, illness, or unease whose exact cause is difficult to identify. <sighs> yeah. So a contemporary malaise is basically an idea or an uneasiness or an unsettling feeling that you get from living in the modern world. I so got again, that feeling uh, watching this film. Oh, you is got that a mal- the point? It, It's a malaise of a film, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the do- like, so it's that's what that is. It's and which is why I kept going back to the idea of is this an examination on modernity and contemporary culture? Ah. Because that's also something Antonioni has done in other films where it's talking about ah. like this kind of unease with this changing world that we find ourselves in, I guess. Yes. Um, and But the doomed affair is the interesting one because it is, is that making the assumption, is that what the eclipse essentially is? Like, is, is their relationship an eclipse and it's going to be come and go and nothing will have changed and it's going to end the same way that Victoria broke up with Ricardo. So you made a comment of when uh, Victoria goes to Piero's apartment and mm-hmm. she's like being a bit of a cock tease. Sorry, that is a terrible term. She's being a bit of a tease, but like she knows what she's there for. You know, sorry, is that really bad? No, it's funny. Okay, anyway. Well, she knows what she's there for. I'm sorry. Um, but then she looks at the- she looks out the window and then she pauses to watch modern life on the streets. Yeah, people going there's back. Pe- two people at a cafe, a couple of nuns, a soldier leaning against a wall. It's reality sinks in. Yeah. So she's in this kind of love affair reality, but really it's not going to change anything kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, I- but this... I- doomed a fair shit like well i think that's what it's ultimately saying is like even if we don't we, we're seeing the their romance at the peak of it like love it, the fact that it's going to be doomed is represented in the visual storytelling that antonioni presents to us like whether it be in little fleeting moments like that or in particular the the seven minute ending sequence where it is just motherfucker life goes on like yeah, this is like and in, in particular the idea like having that that tub of water at the construction site that they continually keep going past and it's like a touchstone for the relationship that is being drained. And that's like, you know, the idea that their relationship, it's like the second this water runs out, like their shit's done. It has a finite time. It is going to go. It's going to go down the drain. It's going to drizzle and, out. And life is going to go on. Old people are going to get on buses. Buildings are going to be constructed. Like it's, it's yeah, it's just life. Yeah. And, yeah. and you can either be uneasy and unhappy with that or you can just have a coca smile and shut the fuck up <laughs> do you know what it's really nice watching this film with chris because <laughs> i'm like i remember asking halfway through the film what the fuck's with the bucket of water yeah <laughs> i mean it's like yeah like i said i've done fucking 278 of these motherfuckers <laughs> true how many and tony only has have you had i so think far? one or two like yeah. only. I know we've done Laventura, which is one that I've gone back to and I actually like. I think I didn't it, it was that thing of like not getting it initially. Um <laughs> but like that's the thing, like with this one, I didn't 
it's not an enjoyable film to watch, but I didn't necessarily hate it. Um, it's definitely 100%. it's definitely one I will never watch again in my life. Um, but it's <laughs> it's it makes me intrigued to see La Nota, the the middle film of this loose trilogy, to kind of so, see. Okay, you mentioned this trilogy thing. I don't really understand. So Le, Le Eclis mm-hmm. is what number in the trilogy? Three. It's the third and final. And have you watched the previous I've two? I've watched La Ventura, which is number one. One. And I have not seen La Nota, which is, is number two. La Nota in Criterion? Yes, it is. And it's not chronological. Nope. It's, you know. Because it's like a, a loose trilogy in the idea of it's him exploring thematic stuff. It's not like same characters and same settings. It's like, like I said, it's it's his trilogy. Well, what do we call it initially? Like what? The Cornetto trilogy. <laughs> yeah, it's no. his informal trilogy on contemporary malaise. So yeah, and malaise means lazy, or the the unease with, or an uneasy feeling kind of thing. Yeah. Hmm. Look forward to that. Yep. <laughs> Other film. No, but do you know what? I love film when they make me uneasy or make me uncomfortable. But or make you fucking work like this. Yeah. Work. Work is the word. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. I don't know with this one. It's. I mean, the film itself sums it up so perfectly in its final shot when it comes up saying, fine. <laughs> it's Not it's, Finn. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. No, and it is one where, like, you know, I get that there are certain people out there that absolutely adore this film. Uh, I it, don't. I it, want to rack... No, I want to get... You want to sit down and, like, shake them tell and me, like, tell me why. Yeah, tell me <laughs> yeah. what's so good about it. I want to yeah. know. I mean, but to each their own. No, like, no, no, not like in a bad way. Like, tell me, hmm. what have I missed? Yeah. I'm, I feel stupid. I don't know. Um, was there anything else on your notes that we haven't hit on with this one? I know we kind of just breezed through the plot, but like... Yeah, no, I don't need to go over the plot, but I do have a question for you. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you have the answer to it. But um, something I brought up was the male gaze. Mm-hmm. And then I also have this question of... And it frustrated the fuck out of me because I'm like... So often with these older films, they build all this tension and then there's a romance and then there's this and then there's that and then it's like, next scene! And it's like, you, yeah, you, did they have sex? It's it's cinematic blue balls. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm wanting to know what does a film need? I mean, if a film showed, say, 1962, if a film showed nudity or a sex scene, would it even be in a cinema in 1962? Um, depends, context of the nudity, length, like all of that stuff. Yeah. Definitely not in the US. Uh, it was, that was kind of starting to happen in the 60s. I feel like the US are a bit... But they, that was like the, uh, like, because around then, around the 60s was the abolishing of the Hayes Code, which was like the really tough, hard thing that would um, restrict films. Um, and that was slowly getting replaced with the MPAA and proper a proper rating system. Like, you know, PG, R... G, stuff like that. So that, there wasn't even the proper rating system? No, there was something called the Hayes Code, which deemed things as Im- not not inappropriate, immoral. Oh. Yeah, so that was that was sort of ending in the late 50s, early 60s, and that's when, you know, the MPAA with, you know, Motion Picture Association of America taking over and kind of a self-regulating body. Um, oh. But in terms of international features, like there are definitely some... 
bawdy, sexy films out there from this time. From this that, time? Yeah, that, but, like, not not to the extent of, like, you know, we're, we're not getting, like, blue is the warmest colour level. <laughs> like, you know, hardcore <laughs> yeah. sexiness here. Like, you know, it's no basic instinct shit <laughs> happening. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I don't know. Like, there was a part of me that I was like, you've built me up, you've built me up. <laughs> Just, just keep going, keep going. Keep going. And it's yeah. like I said to Chris, it's like watching Pride and Prejudice. Like, fucking, how many episodes are we in? Are we? We're just gonna have them like smile at each other. Like you said, it, it's cinematic blue balls. <laughs> you yelled at the TV for fuck's sake. I just want a tit or something. <laughs> you were that into it where you were just like, God damn it, no. <laughs> I've come this far. You've built me up. God I'd damn it. I love it, fam. <laughs> Antonio. <laughs> Antonio used that um shot of the um the watering garden with the hose. Oh yeah, and the and the down and the down blouse shot. And so, oh, no, oh, you no, mean like, like, it's like a rocket in the is apartment, and then just like the, the train goes into a tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> like all of that old shit. Yeah, that's like visual storytelling. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, um, so good. Well, on that note, um, do we want to hear what someone else thinks this film's? could possibly be about yes i think i know what you're getting at and but it's 100 yes yep all right well that means it's time to hear what claire thinks this movie's about all right as we said uh at the beginning of the episode, fuck it, we're doing it live. Claire's joined us in the room. Woo! Claire, what's this movie about? It oh, is yeah. called Le Clisse, directed by Michelangelo Antonioni from 1962, and it's Italian. Oh, Italian. If you couldn't tell. Le Clisse. Do you want the English translation? Yes, please. Give her the picture. Give me a... Oh, there's, there's the Criterion cover art, okay. and... Leclise translated into English is the eclipse. The eclipse. And it's Italian. Well, looking at... Oh, look at the picture. It's pretty rapey. <laughs> well, no, I'm just going to say that it looks very sensual. We're not going to take apart... Oh, maybe it is. Oh... No. It might be uh, throwing you a curveball. Yeah, it might be throwing me a curveball. So I'm taking it as there is a male and a female main character. Yeah. Because they're on the front cover. So, (laughs) hmm, this one's a tricky one. Le Clisse, 1962. So, um... This boy and this girl, because that's what they're going to be called. Boy and girl. (laughs) They, they, um... They meet one night at like um, a full moon party, <laughs> but, but not the type you go to in Thailand. I don't know. I love it. I love it. They go to a full moon party, and they meet. But it's like 1962 style, so you know, like the everyone's boys, doing the jitterbug. The, yeah, they do the jitterbug. <laughs> the girls stand on one side of the wet beach, and the boys stand on the other side of the beach because they're not meant to be. And then they. Do a foxtrot. <laughs> and they meet and they say their goodbyes at the end of the night. And then they like think of each other and they try and get in touch through the moon. <laughs> they try and send each other Ooh. messages. 
and I try to send messages through the moon and they're like learning about Morse code. I don't know why, because they're sending messages. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> and years later, so they've been sending this message. It's just not gone on. They're sad. They're lonely. They're like, do I find someone else? And then there's an eclipse and they go back to the same place. There's no party, but they're there. Oh. And they both turn up and they're like each other's true love. Oh, credits. <laughs> yeah, the end. Beautiful. Hey! <laughs> Beautiful. That is a much better film than what I just watched. Oh. <laughs> That's beautiful. Thank you. Come back thank, here. Thank you, Claire. That, that was that was wonderful and a way more. I want to know. I at the beginning, I'm like, man, is that this? Just sounds like a West Side Story kind of thing. And then yeah. like the communicating through the moon. What's loved the it. One and uh, it actually makes me think of something you said. Um, uh, one of our characters tonight looked like the. Uh... Oh yeah, Italian Barbara Streisand. I feel like, oh no, I'm thinking of a different Babs. Um, no, I've, I've lost it. Never mind. Come back to me. Oh. Anyway, I, I thought I thought Vittoria looked like Italian Barbara Streisand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's probably going to be the hardest one we've done yet. Uh, I've got mine locked and loaded, ready to go. Lee, what's your tagline for Leclise? Leclise Meshish. Because I didn't think about it before we started recording. And mashish, like, eh, mashish. <laughs> you can't just re- keep repeating a made-up word till it's real. Mashish. <laughs> okay, I'll take it, I'll take it. Eclise mashish. All right. <laughs> I didn't think of it before we started recording. Now I'm stuck. <laughs> oh, no. All right. Uh, mine was Leclise. When the moon hits your eye, that's the more <sighs> I, I guess. Know, I know who I'm voting for. <laughs> the one who thought about it. Because it had an eclipse and the moon and the dee Yes, yeah. winner, winner chicken dinner. Uh, well, with that note, we'll move on to the uh, little bit of trivia about the film. Uh, the film won a special jury prize at the 1962 Cannes Film Festival, where it was also nominated for the Palme d'Or. Um, as we mentioned, this is the final part in his trilogy. According to Martin Scorsese, this is the boldest film in the trilogy. Mm. Uh, the film was not a commercial success, apart from Japan, where it went down very well, apparently, and became a huge hit, uh, including uh, being in- with its visuals being incorporated into lots of karaoke videos, apparently. It's like background visuals. Oh, <laughs> I can see that, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Roman stock market scenes were filmed on Sundays when the market was actually closed. So that was actually the real Roman stock market, like the stock exchange. Yeah. Uh, real brokers were drafted in to make it look more convincing. Mm. Uh, some US, I, I love this bit of trivia. Uh, some US exhibitors were so perplexed by the non-verbal ending that they simply chopped off the last seven minutes. <laughs> now regarded as one of the seminal scenes of Antonioni's entire oeuvre. So, to be honest, what an ending! Yeah, but also imagine an ending like just imagine them her walking down the stairs like yeah. That's you... when you said doomed affair, I'm like. 
Was what? It? Yeah. I don't even feel but, like they But ended. then it's through the Baraka-esque, like, ending that it's, it's like, oh, I can't, it kind of all... Constructing meaning from these visuals, which is I kind guess. of, like you said, makes me want to almost go back and be like, well, do I try and construct... I, is that where the, yeah. is that the Rosetta Stone for this film is at the end where it's just like, yeah. motherfucker, look at what the visual storytelling, yes. not the narrative storytelling. Yes. Yeah, we are idiots. No, but I could rewatch it. <laughs> mm. Or I could not. Uh, and the last bit of trivial trivia, uh, director Michael Haneke has named this as one of his top ten films of all time. Fuck. Yeah. Wow. Uh, top ten films of all time? Yeah. Uh, we'll go into the Criterion Edition. It's still in print from Criterion as a one-disc Blu-ray or a two-disc DVD, and it comes with an audio commentary by film scholar Richard Pena. Uh, and to- uh, Michelangelo Antonioni, The Eye That Changed Cinema, a 2001 56-minute mm. documentary exploring the director's life and career. Elements of Landscape, a 22-minute piece from 2005 about Antonioni and Le Clis, featuring Italian film critic Adriano Apra, and longtime Antonioni friend Carlo Di Carlo, as well as the usual booklet and essays that Criterion usually do. I feel like we should have watched those before critiquing it. Eh. Eh, Mishish. <laughs> That's now going to be like our go to, like, <laughs> if something's like meh, you just say, eh, Mishish. Mishish. <laughs> but um, unless you've got anything else, that'll probably wrap us up for Antonioni's Leclise. Mm, I'm done. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we'll be back in a fortnight's time uh, with, uh, you're going to love this filmmaker's name. I've, I've been waiting to say this one to you for a while. We've got our next Volker Schlondorf film. <sighs> yes. <laughs> and we're, and we're going to watch Young Torless. Is I know, it better than this? I have no idea. Um, I... W- I enjoyed one Volker Schlondorf film that I've seen, and I loved another. So we will wait and see. Uh, But in the meantime, thank you all for listening, um, and thank you to those people that have sent us in some listener mail. Uh, We really love hearing from you all, and we kind of want to make it a regular feature in the show. So, yeah, if you want to send us an email or a comment or anything like that, um, honestly, it could be literally anything. Tell us some (laughs) movies you've watched lately. Don't have to be Criterion. Just... Let's get a dialogue we going. We like hearing from you. It makes our day. Yeah, you can send us an email at thecriterionquest at gmail.com or you can follow me on Twitter at CriterionQuest or Lee is dutifully, amazingly doing our Instagram account, which is uh, if you just look up the Criterion Quest on Insta. Yes. Uh, but otherwise, I guess Patreon? Do we plug the Patreon? Yes. We've just started our trilogy of trilogies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I think we were discussing the other night. It might be our last attempt of doing, like, a triptych of commentaries almost. because it's hard. Yeah. Hard to find, like, like like-minded theme stuff. So after the trilogy of trilogy, like, our favourite films from trilogies, we're just going to... Start winging it. See what, and like, we'd actually, if suggestions from listeners, we love suggestions. But I think the the, the thing is, is that we're not tied down (laughs) with our Patreon. We are tied down with our criterion, the quest that we do. Yeah. (laughs) There are spine numbers that dictate what we do next. For better or for worse. Yeah. But uh, we have a lot of fun over on the Patreon doing these commentary tracks, as well as uh, checking up some little videos here and there, as well as pictures and all that kind of stuff. We're having fun over there. Um, Please, if you come over, join the Patreon uh, for the cost of a 
uh, one beer at the pub. Yeah. You can uh, help support the show, help us uh, pay for better equipment, pay for the server costs, keep this thing going, and uh, get some wonderful content, including commentaries. Uh, a spin-off show that uh, I'm doing currently <laughs> with Toby called The Great Scott, where we're working our way through Tony and Ridley Scott's filmographies. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, but yeah... Head over to patreon.com slash the Criterion Quest for that. I'll link to it in the episode description. All that shit. But yeah, thanks for listening. Yes, thank you. I'm sorry, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think at least it was an interesting discussion of what yeah. the fuckness. At what least. the fuckness? Yeah. Uh, but for this week's episode, uh, I am Chris. I'm Lee. <laughs> that was such a downer. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you next time. <laughs>